Acts chapter 7. Last week we, we kind of covered chapter 6 and the first part of chapter 7. We're going to be starting at verse 20 here tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 25, he gave a parable about talents and his point was that if a little is given and you're faithful in those small things, then more will be given to you. The interesting thing about how God gives more to us is when you serve a little bit and you're faithful in serving a little bit, God gives you more to serve in. And whether you want more to serve in or not, you might say, well, thanks, that's a thanks, but no thanks, you know. I'll serve a little bit, but I don't really want to serve a whole lot more. But the whole idea of service is not uh, burdened, but is supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to be something good, that you're doing something for someone who's good. And it's a good thing. It's funny how we have our concept with people. If you were working for someone who you really had a lot of respect in, for. Perhaps it was someone who is well known in the sports field or in the entertainment field and if you got a chance to, to do something for them, oh you'd be ecstatic. Oh yeah, you know, I got to shag balls for, you know, so and so or I got to run errands for so and so and there would be this idea of that's exciting, I get to do this for so and so, whoever so and so would be. You place your so in the so and so. But if it comes down to you get to serve the Lord, where does that rank? What does that mean to you? How does that look? And, and here is an example. Stephen, he was a person who waited on table, someone who was given responsibility, what we would call a deacon, and overseeing this responsibility of taking care of the widows and their needs. And he was doing a great job. He was a person who was filled with God's grace and his power. He had wisdom and God's spirit. And those things were a great combination. And so the guy's taking off. And so we see at the end of chapter 6, he starts to encounter obstacles, if you will, persecution, those who were aware of his dealings because he was... A lot of miraculous things in verse 8 were done by him. He did great wonders and miraculous things. And we see that when he steps into a little bit, kind of more seems to take place. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those who have responsibility, it says, obtain for themselves. One of the things they get is a high standing and great confidence in the faith. Why is that so? Why, if you take on this responsibility in serving God, do you get this great confidence and this standing? Well, have you ever been involved with something and you get to know it pretty well? You start doing it over and over and over again. You start developing confidence in it. Maybe it's a new job. I've had lots of new jobs. I, it's kind of my theme. Every seven years, start a new job. It, it just seems to be where it goes. But you start off, and I can remember when I started working in the lumber business. 
I was out sorting lumber. You know, I was out there and they were having to show me everything because I knew nothing. And they called me a yard dog. I'm like, great, I'm a dog, you know. I'm a yard dog. And I can remember a conversation taking place. Well, how Sam? No, Sam, he can't do it. He doesn't know anything yet. And I was like, great, I'm a yard dog who knows nothing, you know. What, how low can you go? And it was one of those things where you just have to learn. And as you start developing and you start working in that area, you understand, oh, I know what one common is now. I can see two common. I understand that. And the same thing with dog training. You start understanding what it is and you start being able to, to read dogs. And pretty soon people think you know something. Why? Well, pretty soon you do know something. And guess what? You gain confidence. Because you know something. Well, a person who oversees an area of ministry starts working with people and taking care of the things, they develop confidence. What a great thing to develop confidence in are the things of God. And as we see Stephen here, we see confidence. The guy is before the supreme court of his nation being accused. What do you say? And he just starts speaking eloquently. He starts talking as if it's rolling off his tongue. He has this way. Why? Because he's been exercised in those things. He's been working out spiritually and he, he's been reading and he's been talking to people and pretty soon he has confidence. You serve, you develop confidence. What are you confident in? Is it in your work? Your schoolwork? Well, he was confident in the things concerning the Lord. And what a great thing to be confident in. And so up to here he's been talking, and they would accused him of two things. They accused him of talking against the temple that they considered a sacred place and against the Moses than the law. So they had two basically things that they were bringing out that we're accusations against Stephen. He's against the temple and he's against the traditions, the law of Moses. And the first part he talked about just how God had appeared to Abraham when he was in a foreign country, that God appeared to him when it wasn't in the Holy Land. And how God had blessed Joseph when he was in Egypt, it wasn't in the holiest of place, and how Joseph's own brothers rejected him. A type of Jesus, a type of Christ. Jesus was rejected by his own people. And it wasn't until the second time around that his brothers recognized him when he was in Egypt. Even like the Jewish people aren't going to recognize the Messiah until the second time around. And now he's going to talk about the law. And starting in verse 20... He says, at that time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. 
Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. So, he starts recounting and now talking about Moses, because Moses was where the origin of the law came. It was through Moses that God gave the law and commandments. So he starts talking about Moses. And as he starts off, he says that Moses came and, and was there being raised in the ways of the Egyptians, powerful in speech and action. In verse 23, it says that he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. And that word for visit is to look upon with kindness and to help their need. It's interesting, it's the same word that's used in Luke 7.16 where it speaks of Jesus where they were filled with awe and praise that a great prophet has appeared among us is to visit us, they said. God has come to help his people. Well, there's a real similarity. Moses was there to deliver his people and he was there to liberate them. That's what he thought they would understand. And so he went there to liberate them, to deliver him from this Egyptian who was oppressing him, who was beating him and being mistreating him. He was there to liberate them. Killed the Egyptian. He was there to reconcile them. He went to those two that were fighting. They were fighting amongst each other. And he was there to reconcile them. And Jesus came to deliver the people and reconcile them to God. Very similar. But guess what? They didn't recognize Moses. You come here to kill me just like you did that. They didn't want anything to do with him. Guess what? They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And you see, right now these people are thinking, hmm, what's he trying to say? He's standing before the Supreme Court the Sanhedrin. And he's recounting what they know. And he's trying to make a point. And he's making it very well because he's making it kind of around the side. You know, he's kind of coming in through the side door, so to speak, trying to get the point across. You talk about the law of Moses. Well, they rejected Moses. They didn't see him as a deliverer, as the person who was going to reconcile. They didn't see him in that way. The people rejected him, just like you rejected him. And he went to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. He married a Gentile, Zipporah. The Lord was later going to have a bride, take for himself a bride also, and it was going to be even with the Gentile. Very prophetic what's happening here. What he's declaring happened to Moses. It happened to Joseph. It happened to Jesus. The way you treated Joseph, the way Moses was treated, is exactly the way you treated Jesus. You didn't recognize him. 
Someone was there to liberate you. Someone was there to reconcile you to God. But you didn't see it. Why not? Well, he's going to go on and talk about that a little bit later. He goes on in verse 30. For after 40 years it had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to look more closely. He heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. God appeared to Moses. It was a holy place, but it was not the temple. It was not in Jerusalem. It was in Midian. You guys are making such a big deal about the temple and us defaming the temple, but where was the holy place when Moses was encountering God? It wasn't in the temple. Remember Jesus said to the woman who was at the well, the Samaritan woman, the Jews know what we worship and where we worship, for worship is from the Jews. These Samaritans don't know. But the true, the day is coming and is now here when the true worship of God, worshipers of God, those who God seek for him to worship, will worship him in spirit and truth. That's who God is seeking him. It's not about the place, it's about the person. Religion is all about the place. It's all about the ceremonies. It's all about the things. It's all this way, but relationship with God is this way. And Jesus is saying, it's not about this. It's about this. The Jews are on Stephen's case here because it's about this. And he's telling them, you know, it's never been about this. It's never been about the place. It's never been about Jerusalem. It's been about the encounter with God that he had when he was in Egypt, when he had, when he was in Midian, when he was not here at the temple. It's not about the place. You guys are missing the point. It's about the person. Verse 34 is a beautiful verse. Well, verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. And verse 34 I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groanings and have come down to set them free. Now, come, I will send you back to Egypt. He didn't send them back to the temple. He sent them to Egypt. But what did God do? He saw them, he heard them, and he came to rescue them. Where are you at right now? What is your circumstances? Does God see you? Oh yeah, He does. Does He hear? Yeah, He does. And He's also going to come and rescue you. If you call out to Him. If you belong to Him. If your life is set aside for Him. He sees, He hears, and He will come to the rescue. We have a God who cares who invades our circumstances and helps in times of need. What a great comfort this is, that he hears, that he sees. Now what usually happens is 
We don't care about God. We're not looking for God. We're wandering. We're not looking for any burning bushes. We don't want to encounter God. We want to do our own thing. We want to live our lives. We want to have our status, whatever it is, similar to what the Pharisees and the, the religious people were doing at that time. It's kind of funny because religious people and people who are doing their own thing are very similar. They're in it for self. They're in it for how it satisfies themselves. And you might be living your life, I want to do my own thing, I want to live my own life, I want to go my own way. But then, like happens in life, there's a speed bump. There's a, a, a drawbridge that's broken. There's something that goes on. There's a dip in the road. There's a problem you encounter. Da-boom! Flat tire. Derail the train. Whatever. It might be full-on train crash. And what happens? God, help! Here I am! You know, that's what usually happens. That incident happens. The car breaks down. Lose the job. Girlfriend leaves you. Whatever it is. Financial ruin, whatever it is, all of a sudden the reality of life crashes in on you and then you cry out, God, where are you? But you see, God already sees. God hears. He's been waiting all along for you to stop and recognize the frailty of your situation and the reality of life that you have needs that are bigger than you are able to meet. Everyone does. Everyone does. We are all weaker than we realize. We all need strength that we don't have. We all do. Our nature is defective. God's there. He already sees. He hears. And he wants to come to rescue. And he did with Joseph and intervening for the nation of Israel. He did with Moses coming and helping the nation of Israel, and he did with us through the person of Jesus Christ. How? My bills still need to be paid. Jesus isn't going to come pay my bills. My car is still broken. Jesus isn't going to come fix my car. No, he, he he's not. I can assure you, he won't. Uh, but what he did do is liberate you and reconcile. He liberated you from, or is able to, from the bondage of our own weakness and our own sin, our own bent away from God, and he's able to reconcile us to God. He's able to help in the most important area that we have need. And he will intervene in the other areas as well, financially, with our automobile problems. Right, Linda? Uh, God does help out in those areas when you have need. He hears and he helps. Oh, it might not be at the time. They were in Egypt for 400 years being enslaved. How long have you been going through problems? Just give you a little idea. Sometimes you go through hard times for a while. God, it's been forever. It's been four hours now, you know, whatever it is. Four weeks, four years, 40 years. God doesn't, he is not blind. His ears aren't closed. It's usually us and our depravity and our evilness, our, our sin 
that separate us from God. We haven't been listening. We're not listening. And it's not until the train crashes that we say, okay, where are you? It's usually how it is. It's how it was with me, probably how it was with you. Anyway, verse 35, he goes on. It says, this is the same Moses whom they had rejected. In other words, he sends him back to Egypt, but they had rejected him. Second time, he comes back. He's there to deliver. They rejected him, and with his words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and delivered deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt and the Red Sea for 40 years in the desert and for 40 years in the desert. So they didn't receive him. They rejected him. God sent him back the second time. They recognized him. Guess what? Jesus the second time is going to be recognized. And for 40 years in the desert, he led them out, sent them there to do miraculous things. Verse 37 says, This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from among your own people. Now, that's a powerful verse because he's getting here to the point. This is fulfilled twice. God did send someone like him that was fulfilled in Deuteronomy 18.15 and it was Joshua who followed Moses. Guess what Joshua's name means? Jesus. It's the same name. Isn't that a cool kind of coincidence? Wow, that's coincidence. It was Jesus that he was talking about as well. A prophet like me, like Moses, is going to come after who you're going to reject again. Guess what? He's talking to them. He's talking to them about Joshua. He's talking to them about Jesus. They rejected him. Verse 38 says, He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Remember, that's what happened when he went up to Mount Sinai, where he was communing with God, where he got the commandments of God. And when he was gone for that period of time, they freaked out and they said, give us some gods. Aaron melted the, the gold and made a golden calf. And they started worshiping, gave in all kinds of depravity, started carrying on. They didn't want Moses. They wanted the foreign gods. It was their nature. They continued to go back. He goes on and he says, where am I? Was it 39 or 41? 41, sorry. Got so excited I lost my place. <laughs> Hope you're as excited too. Anyway, <laughs> that was the time they made an idol. In the form of a calf. Yes, I just told you. See, there it is. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the stars of your god Rephem the idols 
you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. And God did, in fact, do that. They rebelled even in the, the time of their wandering in Egypt. They continually were given over to just lack of faith. And then when they went into the promised land, it continued. Verse 44, our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. The tabernacle of the testimony. What was the tabernacle? Well, it wasn't the temple, but it was the place where God would dwell with his people. But it wasn't in Jerusalem. It was throughout the desert. It wasn't the place because the tabernacle, tabernacle, the tabernacle moved. I'm ahead of myself. I'm dyslexic in speech. The tabernacle moved, but the presence of God was with them. It's not the place. It's God. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And here he's quoting the scripture again, quoting Isaiah 66 and also the Second Chronicles chapter 6 where Solomon dedicates the temple. And he says, the temple's not enough for me. The heavens can't contain me. Are you going to build a place for me? Come on. That's silly. That's what God declared. And here you are trying to make the temple the big deal. Here you are trying to make something out of this place. Heavens can't contain God. And you're worried about your place. You have tried to box God in, and it's just not going to happen. It wouldn't happen then, and it's not going to happen now. If you don't serve God, serve idols, God of Moloch, which is the God of prosperity, you're worried about your own things, getting for yourself, getting for yourself, getting for yourself. They'd offer their own children as a sacrifice so that they'd be blessed by God and prosper. We do the same thing. We'll find people that'll abort their babies so that it won't inconvenience their lives. It's no different. It's all about prosperity. And so... God's not going to dwell in just a place. And something happens between verse 50 and verse 51. Because all of a sudden he stops mamby-pambying around and beating around the bush. And he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow. Wow. That, that's a heavy accusation. You shut your hearts 
and your ears against the truth. That's the idea of uncircumcised hearts and ears. It, it, it's You don't care to listen. You shut the door of your heart and your ears against the truth. What a condemnation. Now, it's real easy to look at this and go, yeah, you tell him, Stephen. Go. But do we do that with God? Have we shut our hearts and our ears to the truth? Are we paying homage to God? Or we come and we, we come to Bible study or we go to church, we come to a place and do a thing like sit here and listen to this crazy guy talk. Do our time. It's not about time. It's about the relationship. And we shut our hearts and we shut our ears to the truth that God says, I have a plan for you. Are you worshiping idols? Are you living for Moloch, the God of prosperity and your own pleasure? Is your life all about you and you've forgotten that you were created in God's image for His pleasure, not for your own? And that you will never be satisfied trying to satisfy your own pleasure? That you only find satisfaction in fulfilling what you were created to do? And that's live for God and enjoy Him forever? Where are we when he says, stiff-necked people, uncircumcised hearts and ears, do we resist the Holy Spirit? Because that's really what he's saying. When you close your heart, you close your eyes, you close your ears to the things of God, you are basically resisting the Spirit. And the Spirit is working on you and he's saying, listen to me, this is the life I have for you. And you're like, yeah, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You're doing that kind of thing, you know. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And you keep our minds busy. We keep our 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 lives busy. You know, you go to sleep, got to have the radio on. Go to sleep with the TV on. How many of you fall asleep with the TV on because I need some kind of noise? You get in the car, you turn the radio on. I got to hear some kind of noise. I got to hear something. I got to keep my mind busy. Why? Because if I shut it off, if I'm quiet for a moment, there is this haunting voice that says, what are you doing with your life? And there is the Spirit of God that is trying to get your attention. And we find ourselves resisting the Holy Spirit and tuning Him out by turning on whatever radio station, plugging in, putting in our iPods, turning on the TV. We, we do all these things to, to try and fill that space where if there is silence, God is is able to speak and we just really don't want to hear his voice because he might ask me to do something I don't want to do or he might ask me to give up something I don't want to give up or he might ask of me something that I want to hold on to so I don't want that I'll tune it out what are you doing you're basically stiff-necked uncircumcised hearts and ears and you're resisting the Holy Spirit and we need to be careful that we don't just give this to someone else, but we see, is this me? Am I the one who's resisting the Holy Spirit? 
he goes on. Verse 52. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Calling it like it is. They talked about Jesus. You had him put to death. The very law that you are worrying about is the one that is going to condemn you because you put to death those people. Thou shalt not commit murder. And you did. Those who were telling you that this time was going to come. Well, how do you think they took it? Let's read. Let's find out. Verse 54. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What did that look like? <laughs> Have you ever been upset? I, I've been this upset more than once in my life where something has happened and you're just, oh, and your teeth are closed. I think I told you guys that one time about the cat and my neighbor's cat. For those of you who haven't heard it, I'll tell that story again. My neighbor had this cat. I didn't know the neighbors. They were just our neighbors. And we had uh, the twin boys. They were still in diapers. And the cat would get into our garbage can and would make a mess. And that was before you had to dispose of diapers in any special way. You just threw them in the trash can. That with the food and everything. And so I would go out there and there would be a mess, as you can imagine. Food, diaper stuff, everything. It would just be a mess. One day I walk out there, and it wasn't a good day. I don't remember what happened, but I just know I wasn't on the top of my game that day. And I walk out there, and the cat was there. At least half of him was on the outside of the trash can. The other half was in the trash can. Red-handed, I had him. <laughs> and so... I saw him, and I went out there, and I got him by the tail. And I don't know if cat flinging is a, a sport or not, but I was about to give it a try. Because I finally got you, you, you dirty, dirty, rotten cat, you. And I grab him by the tail, and there is the neighbor whose cat it belongs to, looking out the door, horrified at this maniac who has the cat and is about to see if cats can fly. <laughs> And I saw that, and I just was so frustrated. All I could do was go, and I just let the cat go because I can't do this with a witness, you know. It's, it's not allowed. And I just grew my teeth because I had to let, and the cat took off, you know, took off. My, he doesn't know how that was one of his lives. That might have even been two of them. There's been so many times like that. Or even with your kids, maybe you get so upset, and you're, you grit your teeth, you just, oh, I don't know, I'm so frustrated, I can't talk, but I can do this. <laughs> and that's all I can do. Well, they gnashed their teeth at him. They were furious. But what was his response? But Stephen, instead of freaking out, like, oh boy, I think I pressed the wrong button, <laughs> Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, something real important in the contrast that you want to see. They were looking at him, looking down on him. He was looking up at heaven. Whenever you look down at people, whenever your focus is on people, you are going to get frustrated. 
it happens all the time. If I am focused on people who have done me wrong, people who are mistreating me, people who I have disagreements on, if my focus is on them, I get down. I can get bummed out. I can get angry. I can just get in, turned into knots. I, it, it turns my stomach. But if I will stop, take time, and look to heaven, it changes my perspective and it helps me to see beyond the haze, beyond the temporary situations that I'm facing. And that's all they are, are temporary situations. And Stephen was able to look up. They could not look up. They just looked down on him. They were caught up. They were gnashing their teeth. And as long as we can remember, since commentaries have been written back in like, third century or before, you know, of, I think it's Gregory the Great. I don't know when he was around. But everyone has noticed that everywhere else in Scripture where Jesus has been ascended, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But here he is standing up. And they've all commented that he is standing to receive Stephen, who's about to enter into heaven. It's been something that everyone has noticed. Jesus is standing Everywhere else he's sitting, a position of power, a position of authority, a position of rest. But here he's standing up, as if he's standing up to welcome in Stephen. And I, I wonder if he doesn't stand every time one of his comes into his fold. The psalmist says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. We have to understand that this life is not all there is. If this is all you're focused on, you're living a shallow life, and what a hopeless life one day it will be. We talked about Cynthia and being in the hospital, and the text message I got from Vanessa earlier said she's in great spirits. Well, you can only be in great spirits if you know your life belongs to a God who sees beyond this life when you're in those kinds of circumstances. And so here Stephen is looking up, and he sees Jesus. He's just declaring what he saw. And Jesus is standing up at the right hand of God the Father. Well, verse 57, it says, They covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city. Why did they take him out of the city? Oh, because they didn't want to defame the holy place. It's all about the place. And they're going to fulfill what he just told them they had been doing all along. You're so worried about the place. You killed the people of God who told you. But you held your traditions. And so they rushed them out of the place for their religious sake so they wouldn't defame that holy place, that land that was holy. They took him out and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is so poetic, it's, it's just heart-wrenching. Yeah, he died. But Luke can't say he died because it's not really what happened. He fell asleep. He was getting pummeled by stones. Yeah, I know. 
I know it was brutal. I know it was probably very brutal what took place. But the truth of the matter is, he fell asleep. You need to see what's taking place here, what he's trying to convey. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to take a nap now. No, he was being pummeled and brutally. But he didn't die. And that's the point that Luke's making. He didn't just get killed. Something different happened. Something different happens to those who belong to Jesus, who was standing up to receive him. And so he says, he fell asleep. And here we have the first mention of the apostle, the great apostle Paul, who's called Saul. As people are laying their clothes at his feet. And you wonder what impact this had on him. Well, it's interesting. In Romans 2.29 it says, No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. The circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. Colossians 2.11 says, in, in him, Jesus, you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. This message of Stephen saying, you who are just uncircumcised in your heart, in your ears, Paul got it. In his ministry, he talked about that. Yeah. There was an impact made on Paul at this point that I'm sure changed his life and the Lord used throughout his life. And we can see that he even quotes what Stephen declares here in his ministry later on. He talks about the circumcision of the heart. Because you remember that guy, Stephen, who talked about them being uncircumcised in their hearts. And he saw the reality of it. But he didn't understand it at this point. It wasn't until later. You might be here tonight and you understand some of this, but it's not really clicking just yet. I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. I know what this means, I know what this means, I know what this means. But it hasn't clicked yet. It didn't click for Paul until the Lord knocked him down and says, what are you doing? You know what? Some of you are going to get knocked down. Some of you are going to get knocked down hard. I don't know. Some of us, that's what it takes. Before all the things we've heard, we heard, we know, we know, we know, before they click, we have to get knocked down. And we say, okay, I can't live this way anymore. That's how it is. Maybe it'll be an illness. Maybe it'll be a serious accident. Maybe it'll be the loss of someone you really love. I, I don't know. I'm not God. And I, I pray that it doesn't happen. I don't want to see anyone hurt. But you have to understand the truth. If you resist the Spirit, God will do all He can to try and get your attention. If you know the truth, if you know the truth, if you know the truth, and you resist and you resist and resist, well, maybe like Paul, he'll knock you down. And maybe tonight, these words of Stephen are the words that are echoing to you, saying, don't resist any longer. 
You need to listen. You need to understand. You need to respond. And I pray you do. I pray we all do. Let's pray. Lord, these words that were written down, Stephen's message, the first who gave his life for you, are are not vain words. They were written so that we could understand important things. They weren't written just for those in the Sanhedrin. Lord, they were written for us here today. so that we would understand what you were trying to convey to them, you're still trying to convey to us. And Lord, I pray that we would not mistake what this is about. That there is a living God who has living relationships with his creation, with us. And we can either have that relationship or we can make it something less. We can reduce it to a place. We can reduce it to a time. We can reduce it to an activity. We reduce it from being that relationship that it is meant to be, that it can only be. And we block our ears even as they blocked theirs and didn't want to hear the words any longer. And we close our hearts just as they did theirs. And we resist your spirit even as they did. Because we just don't want this relationship that will change our lives. We want to hold on to those things. We have our our own idolatry. Our own worship of Moloch. And just as it was devastating to the children of Israel, it is devastating still if we will resist your spirit. Lord, I pray that would not take place. I pray that your Holy Spirit pierces through and reveals the truth of what you desire to take place in our lives, in our hearts. And we would allow that to happen. That we would open the conversation with you, that we would turn the radio off for a little bit, we would turn the TV off for a moment, that we would take time and and actually open up the scripture and read what you would want to say to us, that we would take time and we would pray and pour our hearts out to you because you are the God who sees, you are the God who hears, you are the God who will come to the rescue if we will call out to you. And I pray we would all do that. Lord, you are the rewarder of those who will diligently seek you. Lord, so many times the reason we're not being rewarded is we're just not diligently seeking you. Lord, help us to do that. I do pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.